This morning's uh, study is coming from the book of Matthew, um, chapter 11, verses 2 to 6. You will find it in um, your Bible from under the chairs on page 529. Um, If you don't have a Bible, we would love for you to have one. You could take that as your gift home with you um, if you promise to read it. Um, A Bible is a good thing. Uh, Matthew 11, verses 2 to 6, open with a question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? The man who posed this question was John the Baptist, the prophet who was prophesied throughout the Old Testament as the forerunner, the herald of Christ. The man to whom this question was addressed was none other than Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the one whom John himself had baptized, the one of whom God had said in the very presence of John the Baptist himself, that this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. John's question was addressed to Jesus, the one whom God himself had testified to at Jesus' baptism. With this in mind, How could John ever ask such a faithless question of Jesus? What was it that presented John from seeing Jesus for who he really was? Was John's inability to comprehend the truth due to some flaw in Jesus, in Jesus' words or in Jesus' deeds? Or was John unable to see who Christ really was due to some flaw, some perceptual blockage in John's mind? What prevented Jesus John from seeing who Jesus really was. Of course, we're going to have to wait until the end of this message to fully understand the answer to this question. But for those of you that are paying close attention, I have a clue in that the title of this sermon is, um, the subtitle is, Blessed is the one who is not offended or stumbled by me. Lord willing, we're going to look at um, three main topics in this morning's study. One John the Baptist and his question for Jesus. Two, Jesus' answer back to John. And three, we're going to close with Jesus' warning regarding offense. But to understand God's work, to understand these cryptic verses and this cryptic question raised by John the Baptist, we're going to need help. So let's bow our heads in prayer before our good and gracious God to seek his help in this study. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your holy word. We thank you for your holy word which you graciously through which you graciously call us, instruct us, rebuke us, stir up repentance, and provide wisdom on how to think and to act in accordance with your will. Despite living in a culture, in a world, in a state, in a city where wickedness is celebrated, and righteousness judged. I ask you this morning, God, that I be able to clearly communicate your word. And together, God, as a church body, we ask that you would free our minds from distraction, that we would have ears to hear your word, that we would have clarity of mind to not only understand your truth, but to understand how not to be offended or stumbled by your truth. We thank you for this time together studying your word. We seek and ask these things in the name of your Son, 
Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. Let's start off this morning by uh, looking once again at the verses um, 2 to 6 from Matthew 11, and they read as follows. When John had heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who has not offended me by me. Let's start off with our first main topic and look at John the Baptist and the question that he asked of Jesus. Um, And actually, technically, I should raise, John didn't necessarily direct this question to Christ, but he asked through his disciples. Again, in verses 2 and 3, we read, When John heard in the prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? To understand why John might be provoked to ask such a question, some background information will probably be helpful for us. Matthew provides this information in verse 2, including John's location, John's understanding of Jesus' teaching, and John's mission. Let's look at each of these in turn. In verse 2, we see basically, where is John? When, John? when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, John was where? In prison, exactly. Um. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so he's in prison. Why was John in prison? In Matthew 14, we're told that John was in prison for speaking against the family situation that might have been lifted from this morning's daily newspaper. Um, the ruler, Herod Antipas, had taken his half-brother Philip's wife, Herodias, to be his own. Besides that, Herodias was still married to Philip. Being part Jew, Herod could still be held morally responsible to follow the requirements of Jewish law. So, of course, John the Baptist, being God's final prophet, being a man who was not afraid to be non-politically correct, condemned publicly Herod for this offense. And as a result, he was now in prison, bound in chains, awaiting death. John was in prison. Some more background understanding would help be, be found basically in the idea that where is, um, well, for more than John's physical setting, be good to understand what was actually in John's mind. What was he thinking of? Where was John's mind? We're told something significant here in verse 2, even if it's in passing. We see in verse 2 that John had heard, most likely from his disciples, of the deeds of Christ. We can examine these deeds, and we will examine these deeds more closely, the specific deeds that they were. But in general, we can see from verse 2 that John had been exposed to and had been taught of the deeds of Jesus. Even though he was in prison, isolated, bound in chains, probably didn't have a radio or got, get the newspaper, he had been told by his disciples of the deeds of Jesus. The final thing I think that would help us understand John's question to better understand John's mind and how he could actually question the, the messiahship 
of Christ basically is understanding who John was, what his mission was. How did John get to where he was? What was John's purpose in being in life? And this is best understood by looking at Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. And this is a, it's a bit lengthy of a segment of scripture, but I think looking at this really gives us the flavor of um, the nature of John the Baptist. And we'll, after that, with that in mind, we'll be able to look at Jesus Christ and kind of compare and contrast the two and see how maybe there would be a disconnect between the two of them communicating in a clear fashion. Matthew 3, verses 1 to 12, read as follows. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he, John the Baptist, who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John wore a a garment of camel hair, and a leather belt was around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the wrath that is to come? Bear fruit, keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able to raise from these stones, raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you, said John, with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Like many prophets throughout history, John saw his mission as being to that of pointing towards the Messiah. John was pointing towards a time when all things would be made correct towards a time of judgment, a time of justice, a time of righteousness, towards a time when the blind would see, the deaf would hear, the lame would walk. But also, John was pointing towards a time when the wheat would be separated from the chaff, when wickedness would be judged and righteousness would be rewarded. With all this background in place, we have a little bit better understanding of John, who he was, what his mission was, what he was all about, we might begin to have the beginnings of a dim understanding as to why John would ask such a question. Are you the one who is to come, or should we seek another? As we work further through the other, these other next steps in our outline, we'll more fully understand John's struggles as well as Jesus' remedy. Let's look next at Jesus' answer to John. John had asked Jesus, through his disciples, if he really was the Messiah, or if not, should they seek another? What was Jesus' answer to John? What was Jesus' answer to a question that could be considered by some of us to be an insubordinate act, to be an act challenging who we really were? How did Jesus validate his claim to be Messiah? Well, 
Did Jesus remind John that, hey, you're with me when God the Father spoke from the heavens that he was well pleased with me? No. Or did Jesus appeal to something else? We'll find our answer in verses 4 to 5. Look with me there. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Jesus had a twofold answer. He appealed to both what John's disciples had heard and seen, what they had actually experienced with their eyes, what they had been told by others, but John, but he also appealed, Jesus appealed to Scripture. As recorded in Matthew, John, Jesus, in a very public matter, um, visibly before the crowds, had performed miracles, had performed deeds that fulfilled Old Testament prophecies. Jesus had given sight to the blind, caused the lame to walk, cleaned, cleansed lepers, caused the deaf to hear, raised the dead, and preached the good news to the poor. Beyond this, these specific miracles mentioned by Jesus recalled the prophetic promises throughout time of the Messiah, the year of the Lord's favor. John appealed to two things, both the experience of John's disciples as well as the scriptures. Jesus, in essence, was telling John and his disciples, hey, connect the dots. The pieces are all there. Compare what you've heard and seen with the scriptures and see if I do not fulfill what was written about me. Rather than take my word for it, let's look at a couple of quick examples of how John's disciples um, might have seen and matched the prophecies in Isaiah with what they had actually seen. The blind received their sight. Isaiah 29.18 reads, In that day... The deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. Isaiah 35, 5 in the Old Testament is similarly worded. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. So we've got the Old Testament picture of the blind seeing prophesied years before. In Matthew 9, uh, verses 28 to 30, we see the, what, the, what uh, Jesus had done and what the disciples would have, um, have experienced, had seen with their eyes. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. In a similar fashion, we can see the prediction from Isaiah of the lame walking and the fulfillment recorded in Matthew chapter 15 of the lame being able to walk. Isaiah 35, 6 reads, Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. In Matthew 15, we see this fulfilled in uh, verses 30 to 31. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, 
the lame walking, and the blind seeing. These are just two examples lifted out of dozens, and they just scratch the surface. But the point here is that um, Jesus was justified in calling them and pointing uh, John's disciples and John himself back to the Old Testament scriptures. John challenged them to match what they had seen and they heard with what was written and to take things at face value. I don't know about you or me, but um, if I was in a situation such as John the Baptist and I was locked in prison and I had been raised since birth, even before birth, um, to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ, and I was stuck in prison and I had sent a message to Jesus, I would have expected a different message back. I don't know about you. Maybe you would have, right? How about something more like, hey, bro, I know it's tough. It's going to be okay. Hang in there. All things work together for good, right? Wouldn't you? I mean, these are two men of God, the forerunner of Christ and the Christ himself. And what is Jesus' answer back to John? Look at the scriptures. Look how I'm fulfilling them. Rather than giving John the Baptist counsel, encouragement, or a hug, Jesus simply told John and his disciples to look at God's word, to see if what was written about him wasn't true. Let's next look at um, Jesus' warning regarding offense. This is our last topic, and we spend our most time in this last section, but really what it does is it begins to provide a clearer picture how John could ever ask a question um, of Jesus, questioning his validity as the Messiah. And I think it helps fill in some of the gaps in John's, uh, our understanding of John and perhaps an understanding that we might have for ourselves as well. Um, the conversation between, uh, we've got some bookends here. The conversation between Jesus and John opened with John's question, are you the one who is to come? Or should we look for another, right? You've got John questioning Jesus. And now this conversation, this exchange between John and Jesus through John's disciples closes with um, what we see in verse 11, um, chapter 11, verse 6. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In Jesus' closing statement, we find a warning, a promise of blessing, and an answer to the questions we looked at from the beginning, why John would have the gall or perhaps the sincerity to ask Jesus if he really was the promised one. Let's start off by looking at Jesus' warning. Are you the one? Up? Oh, nope. That was John's question. How about Jesus' warning? And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What does it mean to be offended by Jesus? Do you want to be blessed? I do. Biblically, being blessed means being truly happy, usually in some kind of eternal, spiritual way, rather than compared to some kind of temporary, physical blessing. And blessing here in verse 6 is shown as being the opposite of being offended by Christ. What's going on here? What does it mean to be offended by Jesus? 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 7 to 9 provides some insight. 1 Peter reads, 
So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Those who disobey God's word stumble. I stumble. You stumble. The John's disciples stumble. John stumbled. Who didn't stumble? Jesus Christ. But we stumble, and stumbling causes offense. Those who stumble, ourselves included, is when we're trusting in our own wisdom or the wisdom of the age, what's written in the news, what's shared on the TV, rather than God's word. Either God's word serves as the cornerstone, the principal point of orientation, the foundation of your life, or it serves as a stone of stumbling, something that either provides the foundation for your life or that which blocks your way, slows you down, or frustrates your plans. I was thinking back on um, Herod Antipas, right? He had plans to marry, and he did, Herodias. And we had John speaking scripture, John the Baptist speaking against Herodias, saying, hey, what you're doing is wrong. It's not right to marry somebody who's already married, right? This is against um, the scriptures. That was a stumbling block to um, Herodias, right? It was getting in his way. He had a plan. He was going to execute it. And here was some Bible-thumping Old Testament prophet um, trying to straighten him out. It was a stone of stumbling. God's word was a stone of stumbling. It slowed down. It hurt Herodias. It caused him to, it frustrated his plans. God's word, his truth, serves as an abrasive for those who disobey. Whether we're believers or non-believers, that word causes us a point of stumbling. The same word, however, serves as a blessing for those that embrace and obey his word. And by God's grace, we're able to obey his word and to, to understand it and to apply it to our lives. Okay. It's now finally time to see if we can address the question posed in the opening and throughout this message. Why did John ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? How could this be? What was going on here? How could the long prophesied herald of Jesus question the Messiah? So we've seen that John knew of the deeds of Christ, right? He had been taught by his disciples. But apparently something that Jesus said or didn't say was stumbling John, was getting in his way, was causing confusion, was causing some kind of cognitive dissonance. There's some kind of disconnect between what John expected and what he was seeing in reality. With all that, we know about both John and Jesus. Let's look at these two men side by side to see if we can't get a handle on what's going on here. Let's look at John first. 
So John the Baptist. As we saw in chapter 3, John was a bit of an ascetic person, right? Not aesthetic in that it's a person that likes fabrics and design. No, no. Ascetic, which means the kind of person that basically had an uncompromising, judgmental, fire and brimstone nature, right? Where was he preaching? Was he preaching in the city? No. John was preaching in the Judean wilderness. What was he dressed in? What did we see John dressed in in Matthew 3? Was he dressed in a suit? Was he dressed in fine linen? Was he dressed in fabric? No, John was dressed in camel hair like all the Old Testament prophets. What was his food? Did he eat uh, 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 Chris's, uh, what's the uh, steakhouse? Ruth's Chris, right, right? Did he eat Chipotle? No. His food was locusts and wild honey. John was not a man of luxury. Neither was he today what we call politically correct. Did John beat around the bush? No. John told things like they were, maybe even more forcefully. John called out the corrupt, the legalistic, and the hypocritical. John called the Pharisees and the Sadducees what? A brood of vipers, white wall sepulchers. He told them, he asked them, who told them to flee the coming wrath? John demanded repentance. John was no respecters of persons. He didn't watch what he said to a person based on their position or ranking. He told the leaders that if they claimed to be Abraham as their father, that that was of little value because God could raise up stones as children of Abraham. Okay. Looking forward, John basically didn't see a season of sowing. John saw a time of righteous judgment, a time of eschatological harvest. John saw a time of where the winnowing fork, a time of division, a righteous judgment, an eschatological harvest. John saw a time when those who would repent and trust in Christ were saved while the unrepentant would be judged by the Messiah and cast into eternal fire. As an Old Testament prophet, John was a man preaching repentance, imminent judgment, and the final harvest. That was John. Let's look at Jesus. Like John, Jesus preached repentance. Unlike John, rather than emphasizing judgment and the harvest of unrighteous souls, Jesus emphasized the need to sow the seeds of the gospel. When John, saw, when John the Baptist saw Christ coming to judge the unrighteous, Jesus saw his task as not to bring judgment, not to, to enact justice immediately, but rather to bear the penalty of sin in his own body through his sacrificial death on the cross. Jesus had, I would say that John, Jesus agreed with John in that judgment was coming, that justice was coming, that there was going to be a day of righteousness and a day of truth, a day when all things that were wrong were put right. But for Jesus, that was a future day. For Jesus, this time of his first coming was a coming to come in mercy, in grace, and to seek and save those that were lost. Remember, remember Jesus' warning in Matthew 11, verse 6, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. In this verse, Jesus was warning John not to stumble, 
not to be tripped up by his expectations that seemed to contradict what Jesus was doing. You can see the, the dissonance, right? You've got this man ready to enact justice and judgment, a man fed up with the way things were. And you've got Jesus coming, healing and um, uh, preaching the gospel, listening, eating with sinners, right? He's doing things full of grace. And you could imagine that it was um, perhaps rubbing John the Baptist the wrong way. Jesus directed John to his deeds, how they were fulfilled in the Old Testament scriptures. Rightly, John the Baptist and the nation of Israel longed for a time of righteousness and justice, justice, right? It's not wrong to look forward to justice. Justice is a good thing. It's prophesied in God's scriptures. But on the other hand, Jesus was about, Jesus was looking first to come in grace and mercy, sowing seeds, and then the judgment. So how did John the Baptist stumble? The fullness of time was not yet here. The kingdom had arrived with the coming of Jesus Christ. The kingdom had come when Jesus was born, as predicted in, in the prophecies. The kingdom had come, the king had come, the blind received sight, the lame walked, the lepers were cleansed, the deaf were made to hear, the dead were raised, the gospel was preached, but the end of the age had not yet come, and judgment of sin and death and injustice had not yet occurred. John and the prophets had predicted a time of sowing and harvest, Jesus came proclaiming a time of sowing and still yet future judgment. John had mistaken expectations of exactly how quickly um, the Messiah was going to bring about his new kingdom. Looking at John's history, can you feel a little sympathy for the prophet? Right? He expected A. He'd been raised to, to believe A. He had been, been raised to expect justice and judgment the coming of the Messiah, judgment of all sin, but it was not to be there. Perhaps this is why the rebuke that, John gave, that Jesus gave John in verse 6 was so gentle. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. You've heard of blessings in um, Matthew, right? You've heard of the Beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those that seek after righteousness, Right? Those are all addressed in a plural fashion. Blessed are those, blessed are those. Do you see the language in verse six? And blessed is the one who is not offended to me. This, this blessing, this beatitude is a bit different. It has a bit more of a bite, a bit more of a target to it. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. I would sense a little bit of a rebuke from Jesus to John the Baptist in this response. But then again, it's a soft rebuke, right? Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus is basically chastising John, but in a soft way, because John was just a little bit uncertain. Okay. How did John the Baptist stumble? There was a disconnect between what he expected and what he saw out there. He expected judgment, but Christ had brought mercy. 
For those of you that are not saved, for those of you here that are non-believers, this season of forestalled judgment, this window between Christ's first and second coming is your time of opportunity. Those of you that remain in your trespasses and sins, who have not repented of your deeds before our holy and righteous God, those of you who have not asked the Messiah to forgive you of your sins, to restore you to a right relationship with God the Father, this is your time of salvation. The time of the withholding of judgment and justice will not last forever. This is your time to act. Jesus came the first time, um, as proclaimed by John the Baptist, lived a perfect life, suffered, died, and rose again, such as sinners, such as you and I, might be saved. When Jesus comes the next time, it'll be too late. He'll He'll be coming with justice and judgment. The time to act is now between the first and second advent of Christ. If you are not saved, if you do not know Christ, if he's not opened your eyes to your need for him, I would encourage you to turn to him this morning to be saved. Are you offended by Jesus? Am I offended by Jesus? As we saw this morning, God's actions, the way he chooses to fulfill his prophecy, sometimes confuses people. Sometimes there's a disconnect between what we read in Scripture and what we see around us in everyday daily life. Sometimes the disconnect is so severe and so um, uh, clear that it confuses even God's prophets, even those that God has used to proclaim his truth, up to and including John the Baptist, the greatest prophet. These men were perplexed by God's implementation, God's timing, in bringing prophecy into fruition. God's prophecies always come true, don't they? But often, there's unexpected twists in the storyline. It's little wonder that John had a difficult time believing that Jesus was the Messiah. While Jesus fulfilled all the Old Testament prophecies, he did so in a manner that matched their expectations in no way. Remember, Jesus, remember, Jesus' warning in 11.6 also includes a blessing. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Jesus says we are blessed when we're not offended by him. Are you offended by Jesus? Am I? Now, there's a good offense and a bad offense. The good offense is that the cross is always an offense to both believers and non-believers. The cross is an offense to the pride of our flesh. The cross is an offense to the concept that I'm complete and whole in myself. The cross is an offense to the idea that I've got it together, that, that there's anything good in my, in my flesh, anything good outside of Christ. But the cross is also, the cross contains also, I'm sorry, but there's also a bad offense. There's an offense that causes stumbling. There's an offense that separates us from God. There's an offense that keeps us from coming to God. There's an offense that keeps us from being the people that God has called us to be. There's an offense that basically causes and brings about the imposition of God's wrath and justice. Are we willing to trust God to wait on his harvest, to wait on his timing? 
when things in our lives apparently disagree with how we thought they were going to go, do we look to scriptures and trust in what they're saying? Or are we stumbled by the occurrences around us? When things around us do not line up with God's word, are we willing to trust in God, wait on his tithing for the harvest, and take up our cross in the meantime, sacrificially serving our neighbors, our fellow church members, and God? Or do we grumble and complain and just kind of like walk away from God? Are we stumbled? Are we stumbled or do we actually search the scriptures diligently? to see what he's asking for us. Through sincere, heartfelt prayer, through time carefully studying God's word, through close fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ, through being under the preaching of God's word, we are equipped to avoid stumbling. Through these ordinary means of grace, and actually they're quite extraordinary means of grace, We're able to see and understand the world around us through the lens of the scriptures rather than the lens of the culture and our world around us. The better we understand Christ, the more accurate our expectations, the less likely we are to stumble, to be offended by him, to reject his word, and the more likely we are to be blessed. Even even while living in an age where wickedness is celebrated and righteousness is is judged. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, your grace, Father. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you, God, that while we are easily stumbled, while often things do not make sense to us, while often what we think and what we do and what we know is disconnected by your word, thank you, God, that you reach down in your grace and in your mercy and that you see fit to open our eyes to your truth by your spirit. Father, we need you. We need more of you this morning. We need more of you this week, God. And I would pray, God, that you would in each of our lives, individually and as a church body, God, transform us by your spirit, break our pride, reveal to us the stones of offense that get in the way that keep us from understanding who, who you would have us to be, what you would have us to do, and how, we would, how you would have us to trust in you. And we pray that, God, you would be work abundantly in our lives through this week in all those areas to conform us unto your image, to make us your people, to make us more loving and more kind and more open to you and who you are, and people that would not uh, sell short your truth or be afraid to speak the truth um, in love. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen.